CEO, futurist, entrepreneur, chief exponential officer. His name is Guido Putignano, and he's on a mission to enhance the human race. He is also a very good friend of mine, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of what I know about him. Um, so I met Guido a couple of months ago thanks to a human accelerator that we're both part of. If you want to check it out, I can leave the link to that in the description below. Um, but the point is that from the very first moment that I met him, I said, wow, this guy is incredibly knowledgeable. Guido is the kind of person who always has knowledge drops. He, he always has something to share. He always uh, is learning something new, of course. He always has resources to share with you. He is always has some really good tips uh, and some really good pieces of advice to be uh, more productive, to be a better leader. And so now I guess um, that you're curious to know more about his projects actually, right? So he's worked with people from the XPRIZE Foundation to create bioplastics. He started his own company, Yelfi, in order to create a virtual research environment that accelerates biotech research, makes it more accurate with artificial intelligence, blockchain, virtual reality, and many other technologies. Last but definitely not least, one of the most mind-blowing projects that he's working on, in my opinion, has to do with quantum medicine. How all these frequencies that our bodies are emitting, how can we measure them and how can we use them to actually cure diseases? I have no doubt that this is going to be an incredibly interesting conversation. And now, without further ado, welcome to the 2045 Podcast. Hi, Lido. Welcome to the episode. We're really happy to have you. I know that you're a really good friend of mine, and I'm just so excited to learn from you, ask you a lot of questions, and have a good conversation. Hey, Sophie. Thanks so much for this introduction, for this introduction and this invitation. It's really a pleasure to meet you, too. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know that I've already introduced you, but I would also like to know uh, how, how would you introduce yourself? Maybe tell us a little bit more about what you do overall. Yeah, so I am CEO of a company called DSC and focus on how to create the first fully virtual blockchain based lab in the world. It has been supported by the Clinton Foundation. Uh, becoming a fellow of it, the only one in, in, in Italy and on the few in Europe. There, my mission is to make research projects from 30 years into just three, using what's called exponential technology principles. Where, what are there? Imagine if you study 10 or 1,000 companies and you understand why they are successful. They are successful for a change of mindset, activities, and key strategies that made anything different from the past. So 200 years, 100 years. So what is going to happen now, what happens now and what's going to happen in the future. So changing the structure or ecosystem can make you have different outcomes that you will not never, you will have never had otherwise. Sounds so interesting. So yeah, I guess that's just an overview. And you mentioned exponential technologies, right? So uh, the way I see you is like a um, young person who's uh, a little bit of an exponential technology guru. So I guess we're going to have a lot of um, related questions. And the first one is, tell us um, about how all of this started, how you got 
interested in exponential technologies? Uh, what was maybe the aha moment? Okay, so everything started when I was 16 or 14, 15, uh, so some years ago. And what we saw is that anything started without a failure, because if you don't have a failure, you don't need to change and to improve. So failure is not about losing, but it's about gaining. You learn something. And so I started failing so many times, and I asked myself, okay, window, but why don't you use technology to improve exponentially? So uh, how can you be different from the past? Can technology be a part of it? And that's exactly what happened uh, thousands of years ago, when there were monkeys and then uh, other people 10,000 uh, 10, uh, years ago. But civilization started just when people started using technology. We have two kinds of different styles. The first one is biological evolution, and this is slow. The second one is social evolution, which is really fast. The first one is vertical, the second one is horizontal. So imagine, for example, industrial evolution. How different it is from the agricultural one. Uh, can we define ourselves the same species, or may we different from, the, from that? And so starting from that point, that perspective, I started understanding how we can enhance the human race, that's my mission, that's thanks to technology. So I started studying them in a general way, what artificial intelligence is, their application, quantum mechanics, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and I'm able to speak at different conferences. Before going to the university, I've been a university speaker. And uh, from the first year of university, I've been a speaker, a lecturer in three different universities. And so that's pretty crazy. But that's because when you think about something that is new, it's either new for me or new for an expert that may have worked 40 years in that field. CRISPR didn't, uh, was not known to anybody, even for the most important experts. It just came out of the bloom. So it has been something that wasn't expected. And it's exactly the same with any kind of technology. You start building it, and then you start from nowhere every time. And the higher your neuroplasticity is, the higher is your advantage. And so that's it. My mission is to transform my race. I focus on technology, and that has been the key factor that made me be passionate about it. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, like you, you just dropped so much knowledge in just a few minutes, like uh, biological evolution versus social evolution. But it's interesting to me that all of uh, all of your journey started from maybe a desire to improve and be a better person. And then you saw that opportunity in technology. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, Gandhi used to say, if you want to change the world, start with yourself. So think about that, that perspective when you either think about how you can improve yourself, then how you can improve the world. And if you think about biology, we are on the same side, because you are a biological species. Yeah. Okay, and I'd also like to ask you a little bit more of what you mentioned at um, the end of the previous question. You mentioned um, your vision or mission for your life, which is enhancing the human race. Tell us more about that. Why, how did you come 
to that realization uh, or to that, yeah, mission. Okay, so what an asymmetric mean? Might mean we can divide different type of enhancements. The one is focused on curing a disease. So one example could be uh, when I have an illness, I can take it from some drugs and it can make me feel better. Others are, okay, I'm ill, I'm in an illness, I take a drug. When I restore my functions, I can be empowered by what I've done. One example can be, uh, I have some problems at making some additions, some mathematical formulas. I can take Ritalin, and then I not only uh, am at the standards, but I can also improve. The, the third part is mostly focused on enhancing into a transhumanist part, and maybe sometimes fascinating, other times disgusting. I have been able to talk with, to work with different organizations. Uh, I have been part of Manit Plus, but I've also been part of Carbon Copies. Carbon Copies is one organization that can want to put your brain into, bio into an informatic system to make you live forever. That's a sort of enhancement, but the main question here is what would you define enhancement? So when you think about enhancement, just think about the function. In my case, it's mostly about productivity, presence, and intelligence. Intelligence is mostly related to the number of neurons and how they're interconnected with, with one each other. For example, the main difference between our brain and other animals' brain is not about the size. Like elephants, um, the brain is far bigger than ours, but on density of neurons. We tend to have seven times more dense uh, neurons um, our brain has seven times more neurons in the same uh, space compared to a uh, statistical average animal. And that's what made us leapfrog. Okay, interesting. And what I wonder is that sometimes when we talk about these ideas of enhancing the human race, because especially as you mentioned, there could be different levels of it, like just curing diseases or just making incremental changes. But when you talk about, uh, for example, becoming transhumans or cyborgs or those kind of things, people sometimes uh, think of it as a controversial topic, right? They sometimes think that it's not right or that it shouldn't be done or that we should consider it twice, right? I'm curious to know what your take on that is. Um, you know, like, for example, using CRISPR to uh, enhance ourselves using other technologies and how how that could change the world at a societal level. Okay. I will think mostly on differences in society. I There's not a concrete answer because we may be wrong at finding a general worldwide answer. But if you think about uh, ethics, and different parts of the world, you can understand the culture of those. For example, in Asia, there is Confucius. Confucius is, Confucius is uh, one of the leading philosophers that influenced their cultures. And what he thinks that uh, a tree, a seed, is not a tree, but it could become it. And that means that a seed should not be treated as a tree because it's not yet. 
it's a possibility. And that's why in that part of the world, embryos are tested. In Europe instead, it's most what uh, San Tomas of the Queen is called, is a philosopher, used to, to say that you can, you will be wrong at finding positive solutions to negative actions. So if you want to kiss some uh, living organism to find some possi possible benefit solutions, you may be wrong by doing that. So it's all a change of perspective. Personally, for what I think, people fear something because they don't know it yet and well enough. Eric Ford used to say, people used to, uh, to, used to want uh, faster horses, but in reality, they would have needed uh, cars that are far faster than horses. So our perspective is just focused on what we can understand and can create, or at least perceive. If I can't understand something, I may fear it. And then if I'm not in contact with that, I can fear it too. So being in contact and understanding something are the key parameters for liking something. If you don't have both, of course, you may hate it. Okay, so you you may be suggesting that people who, for example, are scared about designing their babies with gene editing, it may be because they don't understand the technology that well? I would say that it's all based on the culture, but imagine if anyone would have done it since the beginning of our time. At that time, it would have been normal. So we have to always understand what's going to be normal in the next 40, 50, 100 years. And just being in contact with something, and actually being in contact means also understanding something, can uh, make you like it or be disgusted by that. If you disgust something, you just uh, eliminate it. If you like something, you put it in your life. If there is something new, it doesn't mean it's good for sure. It may be something wrong. If, if you don't want to edit babies, you can put neural implants in your brain to make uh, them in their brain to make them more intelligent. You can put biosensors. You can edit your body later. You can put a non-science RNA to make uh, to silence some uh, gene expression. And then there are many solutions there. So it's not mean that there's something new. Uh, it may be positive. It can also be wrong, and then you have to eliminate it. Interesting. This kind of uh, kind of reminds me of that essay that Paul Graham, um, the creator, uh, founder of Y Combinator, said. Like um, he asked this question, which is, "What can't you say?" And it's basically around what you've um, talked about, right? What is normal at a certain period of time? Uh, or in time, and so probably what we are talking about right now will be completely normal in the next 20 years, maybe, right? Okay. Yeah. Now, I would really love to know more about your projects, Wido. I know that you're working on a lot, and you worked on a lot previously, but uh, you were telling me about this bioplastics project that you're working on with someone from the XPRIZE Foundation. Please tell us more about how that started, how it's going, uh, what your role is there, what you're doing. Sure, Sophie. 
Um, Southwest is an international organization that focuses on creating different masters in the field of exponential change, so exponential technologies, and much more. Uh, the idea there came about one year ago when I just think, talked about, okay, uh, if there is going to be the, the future, so if turning CO2 uh, is going into biodegradable product is going to be the future, why don't you, we use it to make something concrete? And then, are there going to be the people that are going to be able to use this technology? Because any technology can be great, but if there are not so many people, there, uh, you can't have a uh, progress, and then you may lose time by, by teaching others how to do something. So uh, we talked about what were the most influential people in the world uh, in the field of how to transform carbon, carbon, CO2, carbon uh, CO2, so carbon dioxide. Uh, and then we started a way to do so. And Michael Resta, that was the, the scientific member of the committee on the Conseil Prize, and it's a $10 million competition. Uh, um, is a professor at the University of Bari and it's not for wrong of Singapore and then we reached him out uh, for with this proposal and he accepted that and then we're going to start it as soon as possible. Well, that sounds so amazing because I think this also ties into the idea of you don't need to do everything like on yourself, on your own, but you can actually reach out to those experts, to those people who may already be um, have been working a lot on the field and how can they help you, give you the tools, the platforms to make that happen. So could you maybe give some advice on that? Um, how do you know who to reach out to and how do you show that you are, you know, committed enough to create something real, something that makes an impact? Okay. So the questions are, how do you, I know what to reach out to and then how can I understand if there's something that can be real or just fake? I want to start from the first, for the second question and then I can relate to the first one. Uh, for my experience, there have been tons of activities, but really few of those have been uh, about a complete value into society. One example is events. There are many events worldwide. Now there are many on uh, Zoom too, or Eventbrite and Open much more. But the main reason of those is, the main question people should ask is, are they valuable or are they not? Because just having knowledge or just having a, a brand uh, exposure, so I want to do the podcast or I want to do the event or I want to do the something just for my brand. So it's not so much valuable after all. But if you think about what you can give to others and you create something before, everything can be better. And then from quantity comes quality. Thinking about that, I had an experience that when I was 16, and there was this event This was called The Alternatives. And it made people uh, come in one city, that was Toronto, and there they were the most influential people in, in Italy that were in one same place. It was not just for one event, but it was for three entire days. And after that, the quality and the possibility that, that uh, people have 
iPhone has been impressive because they were all focused on giving value and not just exposing themselves. And that made me think about structure and how we can structure value propositions to give something to others. Because you don't have to build something from uh, artificial needs, something from the outside, but being in contact with the real world can make you notice what's going to be optimal, what's going to be good, what's going to be wrong. How to reach out to? See who uh, is actually a doer other than a thinker. A thinker can make you notice the, the right path to follow, so what's going to be done? But a doer, a person, it can be an entrepreneur, a scientist, can actually do something. There may be two levels of doers. The first one is the employee. The employee can work with you and you pay that person. Uh, it is passionate about the mission, but it's not so... Living is the actual purpose. It's not having an impact. Uh, so it's all focused on that same person. The second part of doer is when you are so fulfilled with your life and just don't think about living, but also improving something, changing. And changing something, being active, proactive. And, uh, and then reactive is far harder than, uh, than seeing what's happening in the world, just complaining about that if you have time. Otherwise, keep doing. Oh, I love that perspective on the doer versus the thinker, because I definitely think that it's easier to be a thinker than to be a doer. So do you have any tips uh, as a side question, you know, or follow up question? Do you have any tips on how to transition from being just a thinker to being a doer? Or do you think it, that it's just a matter of like hashtag just do it, right? Just put your hands to action. Okay, I don't think uh, being a thinker is wrong um, or being a doer is positive because it so depends on what you want to become. I know many people that are shift uh, exponential ethics, so people that work in the field of ethics, they are just thinkers. But to be thinkers, they study so much about different topics. They, they have this horizontal view. Well, another person that is really deep in uh, crypto and he has invested all his time into studying rather than uh, doing something. But because the technology change, the technological change made the person study more. But I don't think just because it doesn't do something, it's wrong. Instead, I know many people, even uh, postdoctoral fellows that have always done something but after my question, what was a plasmid during an interview, they just said, hmm, there are chemicals. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I said, thank you so much. See you in the future. Okay. What, what are chemicals means? Uh, I mean, uh, because you've done anything, you know the practice, you don't know the knowledge. Yeah. So... Uh, people that are thinkers are just going to be trained to, to doers. People that are to, uh, doers all remain the same barrier. They just keep doing because they may not know how things work. They, they may think it's harder. Studying something is harder than doing it. Right. And that's why people 
uh, stop at the basic level all day knowledge, for example, high school, university, and don't try to reach something higher, either because they may not find it valuable, or because doing something is easier than actually studying more and more and more. Interesting perspective. I actually had the opposite perspective. I thought that being a doer was a little better, or that it was more difficult, but it's it's nice to, to get your take on that. But now I, I think we, that was like a side conversation. Now moving on with another of your projects. So we are now talking about quantum medicine and specifically how frequencies can enhance people and cure them. So that's another one of your projects, of course. Now tell us more about it. Sure. Imagine if you can define anything that is around you. I would define it. You maybe would define it with molecules, atoms, and other structures. But if you think about in a deeper perspective, what Einstein said is that energy equals mass, the famous formula. Um, and uh, with uh, a parameter, but the way is that. Uh, and so from uh, an object, you can perceive its energy. And it all starts with light and sounds. How can you define uh, energy and all it is the, about vibration frequencies that can make not only people be better, but also cure themselves? So for example, when, they, and listen, when people listen to music, they may feel better, more active, and more focused. But because it's all about frequencies, when people in Africa used to sound with different uh, uh, instruments, it's the same with other people in South America, in Europe, there are all different uh, instruments, but at the, at the end of the week, it was all about the same uh, focus, same uh, objective, it was feeling better. And it's exactly the same. And one example about frequencies is in the field of optogenetics. So I can treat light to make you perceive different emotions, different states of mind, and like that. Our mission is to teach people our frequencies that they are put in different parts of your body, that is in your, on your skin, with uh, an headphone or with a light sensors, can make you drastically feel better. There are different studies that comes from stem cell activation, to how people have been able to work again, to diminish uh, sound levels and parameters in our body. And that's all about chemistry frequencies. When you think work again, uh, it's all about uh, eating faster. It's not about, okay, you don't, you can't work anymore and then you, you thanks to frequencies, you, you can work again. Uh, it's not such a high level and, and I'm not going to uh, reach that level. One problem noticed is that being so much innovative, there are so many innovative solutions and some of those cannot be so much accurate. And so being able to, when you approach a technology, to see what's going to be possibly true and what's going to be false is important. If I tell you, okay, with these frequencies you can fly, that's false. But if I tell you, okay, you can hear 20% faster, two times faster, it may be potentially be sure. So it's all about the naughty solution to solve current problems. 
That's absolutely mind-blowing. So taking into account what you just told us about the principles of this innovation and technology, so if everything is kind of composed of energy and matter, then we can use these, we can analyze these frequencies and find correlations with disease, maybe? Exactly. Wow. That's and I suppose that your your research is specifically focused not only on, let's say, diagnosing, but actually treating people with frequencies, certain frequencies? Yes. The main problem we face has been that we actually don't know our body frequencies. Oh. So our cell can interact, our molecule uh, can interact and all like that. One possibility could be with the computer potential that can automate everything from that. The main um, uh, question is then, how can you actually measure all those parameters? Uh, when you think about proteins and you think about molecules, in the chemical world there are um, some structures that have been studied for years. Um, it's all based on crystals. But to, to know the formulas, the parameters that have been such as how the temperature that uh, make uh, substances go from one state to another, uh, all these parameters have been studied for years, and there were people that wasted or invested their life in, uh, in doing so. So in the technical side, the doers. Mm, yeah. For body uh, frequencies, they may be the same. Or maybe we can automate it thanks to artificial intelligence. Amazing. And I hope the second one is going to be the, the right path to follow. Amazing. And you say that this is part of a whole field called quantum medicine. Is that right? Exactly. Amazing. It's, it's just so kind of interesting that I was actually reading a paper yesterday about quantum biology. And it just sounds kind of revolutionary because it's a whole new perspective you know it's not only measuring molecules but you're going one step further and kind of um thinking beyond just the visible things you're actually trying to look at what we cannot even see those frequencies um i, I was actually reading that dna kind of radiates uh, certain electromagnetic waves and that can mean a bunch of different things so um, my question now for you is, um, how impactful do you think this technology will be? Do you think that we'll get to the point in which we will map all these frequencies and have it be something like the uh, what happened with the genome, like sort of a, a human genome project, but for frequencies? Potentially. I mean, uh, Jim Carini is one of the most interesting influential scientists in the field. What you can think is when there are different molecules uh, that interact with each other, they are not just in one state, they may be in multiple states. And so also in our DNA, the molecules, uh, I mean, the basis of our DNA, such as the A and T, and in a tiny, they can interact with each other and electrons can go either from one part to the other one. And that shift uh, between this, this kind of basis can create a frequency. So we, we shouldn't send out that works correctly 
to before telling something. I in that case I can say different features, but uh, being concrete and not sharing fake information is the the key value of propositional scientist. And so I think we're going to do it this way. <laughs> Amazing. I, I really love that project and I'm sure it's going to be uh, potentially revolutionary, but at least extremely interesting. Now, Lido, um, tell us about your company, Yelfi. Um, so what is it about? How did you start it and what are you currently doing? Okay, I started it um, four months ago. Uh, so it's a relatively new company. And it only focuses on how to make a research project from 30 years to just three years. And it all started from my personal experience, when just to write uh, um, some references, for a paper I just invested too much time because of different problems such as the, the test trials, the equipment that was missing, and other parameters that may not be so much useful. And so I asked myself, Wido, you started with expensive technologies. How can you revolutionize this, this world? And so I took some uh, principles such as MTP, committing crowd, uh, artificial intelligence interface, dashboards, and I added something else that would have been valuable to to try to find a new formula to make biotech companies exponentials. And so one of those has been the data is the principle. So let's do all with data, don't and artificial intelligence without knowing anything before. Another one has been with visual reality. Well, what is virtual reality? It's the possibility to see molecules and send anything just with your own eye. So you can know something just looking at it. As it's, it is 10 times bigger, 100 times bigger, why should you focus on a microscope without, if you have the possibility to see it like as big as uh, the moon? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can also study, in that case, intermolecular reactions without any kind of effort. Another possibility would be with interface. So how can you notice the real link and what's the main outcome of your projects. Maybe be able to do so, maybe, but having an interface program can be extremely valuable. Another one is with the digitalization. So how you can make something that is from a physical space into a digital one. And that's why the virtual reality uh, has been important because a lab can also be done online with simulations and with other labs that actually do a project, but then they give you the outcome directly on your computer. Scientists have always developed their work and the researches based on their actual means. So if there was the lab, they started doing that. Before the lab, they used to do it in another way. Now that we have technology, we need to do it in another way. And that's why other companies such as Benchling started. Before Benchling, Benchling is an international tool that people use for gene editing, MRA design, CRISPR uh, design, and like that. But before that, 
people used to waste so much time by finding gene sequences in sheets of papers. Are you kidding me? I never done that. Mm -hmm. And I feel so lucky about that. <laughs> and that's the principle. Wow. I'm impressed because you're combining so many technologies in one with this amazing and single vision of making, I guess, research better, right? Making it more efficient, making it digital, analyzing more data in real time, analyzing, um, analyzing it in a better, more accurate way. So I think of it as, I don't know, maybe the ultimate ideal lab. <laughs> And now, as a um, question related in general to all of your projects, so I can see that there, you, as I was saying, you have like the intersection of all these technologies, and it looks like you're primarily interested in biology. But how do you manage your time as, you know, a CEO, as a researcher, entrepreneur, someone who collaborates with other innovators? And how, yeah, what are your top tips for productivity? Okay, so I wouldn't say having a daily update can be important. The next part is finding the right people. And the last point is about understanding what's going to be the most important feature in 10 years from now. The most important feature means what do you want to end up doing? You may have many opportunities, you may participate in many non-profits, uh, many, many, many pro uh, projects, but at the end of the wheel, if they may not be important, just put them away. Understanding people, uh, so finding the right people, starts from being in contact with others. So now I'm talking with you, uh, but I potentially am I not working but in reality, uh, with the possibility to have a collaboration, something like that in the future, it may be 10 times better than just writing another article that may be nobody could read. And so being with others is far important than, uh, than, than working because it's something that can make you feel better and then uh, it can have a return if there's a common value principle. The third one was about daily updates. So how can you write anything um, and understand them? That can give you a feedback loop system. So every day you try and iterate any action that can make you actually know if you're doing well or if you're doing wrong. And from that you can learn. For example, if you make some mistakes, you say, okay, we know or someone else, just try not to do it again. How can you do that? And you iterate it over and over. Interesting. And talking about relationships with people, I I can actually feel, you know, that you have a really good, let's say, touch for talking with people. And even when you're the leader or delegating, you do so in a way that people don't feel like they're like you're being bossy or like they're being told what to do. So my question there is, what are your top tips for leadership? I think a boss mentality uh, it's not so much important as people may think. Instead, uh, be not a boss means not uh, being powerless, but understanding your humility and possibility that others can be better than you. And so 
the key suggestion is to to think in uh, humble terms and not to make people think you're a leader, but to make others think you are like others, actually. Because you are like others. You don't have to take the the character of someone is superior because it's our leader. In the end uh, of this episode, I'm going to ask you some short questions. They don't need like a very long explanation or they just need to be answered briefly. And they're meant uh, to just help people understand a little bit more about yourself, maybe some tips and recommendations. So the first one is... Which would you say are the three most important skills to have in the 21st century? Adaptability, humility, and open-mindedness. Next we have, which three books do you recommend to anyone regardless of their background? Regenesis, Akin Darwin, and then Adam Grant, Humility, uh, it is think, think, think Again, it is about humility and how you can perceive the world differently. What does success mean to you, Guido? Having the possibility to impact billions of people and helping others. What is the number one piece of advice to achieve your goals? Start early, because if you don't do that, you may fail and you may not be able to achieve them anymore. Next, we have something that you'd say to your future or past self, or both. Work more. <laughs> <laughs> Working harder is, uh, apart from harder, is also uh, smarter. So working and understanding that is far, far important. And, and finally, it comes from persistence. And finally, what's next for Weedo? What's your future going to be like? I'm going to go deeper in quantum medicine field and synthetic biology, how to match those. And then I'm going to be also more consistent on uh, social media to inf influence others. And for that reason, if you have any kind of question or would like to reach me out, feel free to do that on LinkedIn or on Twitter or whatever you want. Amazing, Guido. It was such a pleasure to talk to you as always. Um, we've had previous conversations and all of them have been just as amazing as this one. I'm sure that, um, you know, just a lot of people are going to gain so much value from this conversation. I think you dropped a lot of knowledge um, in a lot of the projects that you did, but also in terms of how to be, let's say, the best version of yourself possible. So thank you very much for being here, really. <laughs> You're welcome, Sophie. It's been a real pleasure. As always, I really hope that you've enjoyed listening to this conversation, that it's been insightful, that you've learned something new, that you've gotten to know Wido better. And actually, if you have any other questions for him, you can make sure that you connect with him on LinkedIn. I'll leave the link for that in the description below. You can also find him on Twitter and possibly on Instagram. Also, you can follow us, the podcast, the 2045 podcast, at 2045 podcast on Twitter and Instagram. See you in the future.